Atari. Made especially for systems from Atari. The video game that lets you help E.T. get home. Just in time for Christmas. Happy Holidays from Atari. Welcome everyone to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those two worlds combine. Uh, this is a video game tie-in podcast. We're going to be watching a movie, playing the game that is based on that movie, and then discussing both of, the, both of them and uh, hopefully having as good a time as we did with today's game. Uh, my name is Steve Guntley, and who is joining me today? Uh, my name is Jennifer. I go by J-Ban, J-B-A-N, um, and I'm thrilled to be here. We're very excited to have you. And who else is here with us? Justin Wilhelm, just hanging out. Very happy to have you both. Thank you guys so much for coming out and talking about uh, our, our very first episode. Uh, very excited to be talking about E.T. the Extraterrestrial. I figured this is absolutely the best place to start for this basic kind of idea. And I thought you two would be perfect for this because, as I understand it, uh, Justin, you used to live in J-Band's shed until she coaxed you out with some Skittles. <laughs> yes. So it's is... a pretty similar yeah. experience to the yeah. movie. No, I, I mean, this is basically uh, almost a biography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I figured you guys would both have a lot of personal experience, like, talking about this kind of situation. And plus, J-Band is very prone to falling in holes. Yes, uh, the, I am. Yeah, you can only get out by stretching your, your long neck. <laughs> so... <laughs> it's my favorite part of the movie, uh, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, welcome to uh, all of our new listeners, to everybody uh, tuning in for the first time. I'm going to do a little bit of business at the top, just to kind of let people know, like, what the hell this show is, what we're doing, like, what the, the method behind the madness is. So each week we are going to be playing a different randomly selected game and watching the movie that corresponds with that game. We're going to be talking about both of them. At the end of each episode, we're going to rank the uh, properties that we've just watched. So it's going to be on a rank from uh, good good movie, good game would be the very best you can do. Then I think the two middle categories, we got bad movie, good game on good movie, bad game, which I feel like good movie, bad game might be the one we see the most, but I'm, I'm just predicting here. And then the bottom of the barrel is the dreaded bad movie, bad game, waste of time for everyone. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things that we're not going to be talking about, just to get that off the, uh, the table right away. I'm skipping Lego games, just because there's so many of them. There's so many Lego games, they're all kind of the same, and they're all just sort of loose adaptations of a property rather than a specific movie. I just figured, and, I, and I've covered That's a lot of Lego, yeah, yeah, I've covered a lot of these Lego games on my previous shows, and it's just like, you know, there's a threshold. Um, I'm not doing made-for-TV movies. And I'm trying to stick with movies that were only theatrically, theatrically released in the U.S. And that's just more to give us some kind of structure so we won't be swimming around in, like, 
you know, Phineas and Ferb direct video <laughs> movies and stuff <laughs> okay, like that. Okay, I was gonna say, I'm like, I'm trying to think of something that would have been direct to video and got a video game. Sorry, like high school musical fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which children's I, properties might be in there. That's gonna be a lot of it. I'm also striking out any uh, movie or uh, games that were only released overseas. Like there are a couple. Like there's some game adaptations that were only released over in Europe. Like there's a big Trouble in Little China game, which I never realized because it was only released in England. So. Just, go figure wow. go figure we missed out on the shenanigans of one jack burton um but you know hey hey another time maybe uh and that's really all the rules i think because that's the most fun part about any podcast is uh, establishing firm rules that boundaries. must not be deviated from. Yeah, absolutely uh-huh. you know yeah we're all uh involved to certain degrees in the improv community here that's a big thing you establish your boundaries right at the get-go and uh, get mad at the person who immediately violates them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's part of the fun. Um, so I chose E.T. as the first one to talk about because, well, a couple reasons. Firstly, I feel like this is the property that's going to best demonstrate the reason for doing this show. These are the two most extreme uh, opposite polls. Like, this is a movie that became the biggest movie of all time, the most successful film uh, of its era, and a game that was so bad it destroyed the video game industry. Like, not even an exaggeration. This mo- this game killed video games for, like, three years. Uh, not many games can claim that. Like, there are so many bad <laughs> games out there. Not so many bad ones. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to aim for that record, you know? That's, like, such a, a, a low bar to hit, but... I don't know. Well, we, we'll get into it eventually, but uh, I think it definitely earns its reputation. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I just feel like it, this it demonstrates the polar extremes of what we're going to be talking about. And I think the perception of these video game-based movies is always just that, okay, these are quick cash-ins. Uh, they're done on a tight schedule with a lower budget than usual, and they tend to be very low-quality. And as such, they're kind of the forgotten red-headed stepchildren of the the art world you know these are things that nobody's writing exposés about nobody's looking into the history about these things nobody's preserving any of it because most people want to forget that they exist uh and that just speaks to me i don't know i think those are the things that are kind of worth uh, preserving and talking about to certain degrees and that's kind of the uh the idea that i'm going for here um so i wanted to ask you guys to start with what is your experience with et the extraterrestrial um, I, I knew going into this, and I haven't looked up anything since, uh, I knew I have a reasonable idea of what all went on behind the game. Uh, and I watched the movie when I was a kid, and absolutely nothing about it, uh, forgot almost everything about it until I watched it at 2 a.m. <laughs> this morning. Best time to do it. Because <laughs> I forgot to watch it. So how, how long had it been since you'd seen it? Like 15 years, something like that? Oh, God. Yeah. Pro- uh, honestly, almost probably pushing 20 at wow. that point. Wow. Yeah. That's so, intense. That's intense. Uh, and I have not the greatest memory. So almost okay. all of this movie was gone. I was like, at some point, a bike is going to fly. That's yes. what I know. And also, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. That was my entire knowledge of what was happening. Okay. Um, so I think and there are E.T. households and then there are Mac and me households. Um, oh, were you a Mac and me household? Uh, we were a Mac and me household. <laughs> Maybe because you know, I mean, we grew up in poverty and or, like the, the, we didn't we got, we got Mac and me at the local library all the time. Wow. And I had such 
affinity for Mac and me, even though it's objectively a terrible movie. I loved it. I like I love the kid flying off the cliff and uh, I love the alien family, even though they look horrible. They look like some sort of like descended ball sack um like, still waiting for the, still waiting for that sequel by the uh, way still yeah. waiting for the sequel uh, like every time you have like the mcdonald's like the heavy mcdonald's music video oh in the middle God. uh but i didn't come to et until uh pretty late in life uh, uh i started watching through the afi 100 during mm. the pandemic and that's where i first watched et oh okay so, <laughs> so pretty recently pretty pretty recently and then i was re-watching it and it was really funny because uh, another thing is like, like there's ET households and there's uh, poltergeist households. Yes, and I was also a poltergeist household. So my big Steven Spielberg spectacular was poltergeist. Uh, and so like when I first watched it, I was like, oh my god, the guy who made poltergeist made a pretty good movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, a funny fact about that is that both of these projects started as the same script. It was a movie called Night Skies that Spielberg wrote with John Sayles. And then they couldn't really make it go. It was going to be about a suburban family being terrorized by aliens. And so they split the movies, basically. One became Poltergeist, the other became E.T. And they opened within a week of each other in 1982, which I think is crazy to me. Uh, 1982 for Spielberg. What was it? Raiders of the Lost Ark came out that year. That was in 81. 81. But yeah, okay. he was fresh off of that success. I mean, Spielberg's run around this time was unparalleled. Yeah. I mean, he had one 1941 in the middle there that kind of threw off his mojo. But then it was Jaws, Close Encounters, uh, uh, Raiders, E.T., Color Purple, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, Last Crusade, and uh, Temple of Doom. Like. Always, everybody's favorite Spielberg movie. Always, um, you know, uh, amazing stories. Obviously, all the best. Uh, but yeah, no, he had one of the craziest runs of all time, back to back, like best or highest grossing movies of all time. He did E.T. That held the record until Jurassic Park came out ten years later, which is, and then Cameron did the same thing. So like, there's a bit of a monopolistic uh, approach to the box office, which is always kind of crazy. But. So- so Poltergeist and E.T. came out within a week of each other? Within one week of each other, yeah. That must have been a busy month. <laughs> it was crazy, because that like, same... Can you imagine being him during yes. that month? Oh, my God. Going, like, uh, a bunch of events and just constant media stuff for months. Yeah. Just, like, all of this stuff. I hope he took a break the rest of that year. Well, and it's funny, because Poltergeist is the only film... Until recently, that I had a Steven Spielberg um, writers writer by right until yeah. Fablemans, yeah, yeah. Fablemans, yeah. And there's a lot of debate around whether or not Spielberg actually shadow directed Poltergeist. Yeah. Like a lot of people are saying that like Toby Hooper was just kind of there to satisfy some DGA requirements, and that Spielberg actually directed. It does feel much more Spielbergy than it feels Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, so I see where that's coming from. I don't know I think, how true I don't know. that is. I think there's such a negative connotation to shadow directing. I think they probably were just really great collaboration because you can definitely see some of the suspense aspect of it that um, Toby Hooper um, was particularly good at. And it's just like, it's so, it's balls to the walls, like 
I, I love Poltergeist. That's a movie that manages to be absolutely terrifying while technically having a body count of zero. Yes, exactly. No That's one dies in that movie. That's my favorite types of horror movies where there's body count of zero and you're like, what? No. Yeah. Someone must have. No, no one died. No I mean, died. a guy peeled his face off, but he <laughs> lived through it <laughs> <He> <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That movie is wild. That's what he gets for stealing a steak in the middle of the night. That is like the rudest thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> entire life. He dropped the steak on the counter. That's, that's honestly the rudest thing you can do. He didn't even get a cutting board or a plate. He took this raw, dripping red steak for this family that's already gone through enough. Now they've got to clean up, like, well, it's just germs a, off their it, counter. It's, it's like an alpha, alpha masculine move where you're eating another man's steak. <laughs> it, it, it's super troubling. Yeah. <laughs> this family's having a, a lot of torment right now. I'm just going to eat their damn steak. That's that's always a crazy thing to me because I've never gone into somebody else's kitchen and thought about anything without asking first. Because like right. even even growing up in my family household, everything that we bought had a plan. It wasn't just like oh we just have a steak kicking around. It was no that's we're dinner eating later. This yeah today or tomorrow yeah yeah like yeah. this is I mean meat doesn't last for a week. He just ate. Somebody else's steak that they were probably going to eat the next day. I'm by the way, I'm fully comfortable with this poltergeist diversion because there, I don't think there is a poltergeist game, and I love poltergeist and I want to talk about it. So like, like yeah, no, it, it's amazing. But there are a lot of parallels in poltergeist to ET, and I think yeah. the child acting in both films on point. Like, Unbelievable, yeah. Like when Spielberg I was is so this. good at directing kids. He's always been like incredibly good at getting good performances well, out of kids. And it's always so funny because like the number one thing about directing is casting. Yeah. And the cast, like the cast, of these children who are just except like precocious doesn't even begin to like to count how like they memorized their lines. They got them. They delivered them in such emotive present ways it's just it's spectacular it really is yeah i the the kids go so far uh towards selling this movie like i i was thinking like all right well i'm, I'm gonna come to this show and like not have anything to talk about because what it's fucking et it's one of the biggest movies of yeah. all time it's a beloved childhood classic and i'm realizing more and more that like for people younger than me, E.T. is not a household classic anymore. I yes. like it's not really like I just watched it with my girlfriend the first time like yeah. uh, the other this week for the show. Like she'd never seen it before. Like it just wasn't part of her rotation, and that's kind of unthinkable to me. It just feels like such a canonical movie. I I think because it wasn't a part of my childhood rotation, um, I think there definitely wasn't as a push to like putting E.T. on television uh it wasn't in like syndication or anything like that it wasn't on tv on the background like poltergeist was on tv yeah yeah all like, the time all the time uh but et really wasn't and i think that really that was the short-sighted uh like even now like we like we all paid amazon to watch it yeah uh when which... some of us paid amazon to watch it <laughs> I mean, this movie is kind of the reason we have like a home library concept because for those who aren't uh, ancient dust monsters like myself, like back in the 80s, buying a VHS tape was like $80, $90. All right. So that's why you renting it was really kind of your only solid option. Like you had to pay that much if you wanted to own something. So having your own home library was kind of not really a possibility. 
and the VHS and Laserdisc for ET came out in 1988, and that was $25. And all of a sudden, it's like, all right, this is something that people can buy and bring home and uh, have forever. And that sort of created this whole market of buying your own movies and building your own library. And and now, even now, like it's kind of a hard find movie because it's not streaming easily anywhere, and you have to pay for it on Amazon. And and I think to that point, we had this is a really interesting transition of how things went because. Like, we went to the video store all the time. Yeah. Because we didn't really own mm-hmm. a lot of our own stuff. We usually rented everything. Um, and so then then everybody started building up their own libraries. And now we're seeing that fade away again. Yeah. Where we're all no longer having our own libraries of physical media. It's all, like, either downloaded from the internet or we streamed it from whatever site. Uh, Amazon, Netflix, whatever. And that's uh, a very impermanent practice now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm starting yeah. to realize like things that you actually pay money to own on iTunes or Amazon can be taken away from you once mm-hmm. the license rights expire. It doesn't matter how much you paid for it. It could disappear and yeah. you're just screwed. Yeah, even with video games. There are games that you cannot find anywhere. Yeah. Um, games that should be around, but it's like, oh, you know, this Lord of the Rings game, they lost the rights to the soundtrack and so they can no longer publish this game anywhere. Right. So it's just gone. It's just it's gone. Yeah. lost to history forever. That's weirdly um, happening right now. I was trying to watch 28 Days Later the other day. Oh. That movie is not available oh. to stream anywhere. Like, it just absolutely does not exist. And it's because there's an argument over the soundtrack rights. Oh, uh, that's and so, awful. Like, it's that's just such nowhere. a good movie. It's a great movie. You I have it on DVD. <laughs> yeah, I, luckily, I think I still own a physical <laughs> copy of it, luckily. So, like, that's why I believe in hoarding physical media. Uh, yeah, but I mean, this this felt like such a dyed-in-the-wool classic for me growing up. It felt like something that everyone is just going to... One of those movies that everyone just agrees on. It's like, yeah, no, this is one of the greats. And increasingly, I'm learning that people younger than me, just this has not been a part of their growing up. And I really feel like it should be. Because I don't know what your where your uh, experience fell with this, but... And I, I think I'm a little biased because I've seen this movie maybe like 30 times in my life. Like it was on such a constant rotation that I have a hard time seeing its flaws. But I still think this is a damn near perfect movie. Uh, it's a really good movie. And yeah. it's definitely, um, it has some certain strengths. And I really love the um, hot mom character. <laughs> yes. Um, Thank you. I am with you I was on thinking that. about that during the movie. I was like, oh. Dee okay. Wallace can get it. Well, wasn't she also the hot man, um, hot mom in Lost Boys? No, no, that was Diane Weiss. Diane she was Weiss, the hot okay. mom in Cujo. Oh, um, Cujo. I knew yeah. she was in another hot mom And the mom Howling and situation. Frighteners. Yeah. yeah, she's in a lot of stuff. Um, she's like a scream queen. Yeah, and um, I love, like, just having her subtly being going through, like, this tumultuous yeah. affair, like, like holding it together and holding it down. Like, it just, like, it adds this poignancy to this movie, especially when Elliot is such a little shit. Yes. And, like hurts his mom's feeling on yeah. purpose his kids her kids keep calling her mary like yeah. i kept noticing that every one of her kids calls her mary at some point in the movie yeah. i'm like my mom would have smacked the crap out. not really <laughs> but you know one of the things that i thought was also like pretty appealing about this movie is that i mean obviously there's it's kind of aimed towards children yeah but there's enough going on that like parents watching it are gonna relate to like Oh, trying to wrangle these kids, you know. Absolutely. Who, who ordered pizza? Yeah. What are you guys doing? Are you I, guys going crazy right now? I love that scene early on where they're all just sitting around the table playing D&D and they've yeah. got that Altman-esque like overlapping dialogue going on because it's just it's just the kids being kids. Like they don't have dialogue in this moment. Spielberg just let the camera roll and say just 
do your thing and have fun. And so they're all talking over each other and being rowdy and having a good time. And it feels yeah. authentic. You can like you can get it's a very tactile movie you can really feel the linoleum you can feel yeah. the shag yeah. carpet you can you can get a sense of what this well, house smells like and it, the it house, feels like an actual family yeah. lives there and is doing things yes. and the house the set design uh, has overstuffed the house so that it feels lived in because yes. almost all television and all movies they have this pared down nature of what a house looks like and that never it never reflects reality this with an overstuffed house it, it brings it to life yeah um especially like um I, I don't know I don't know what child has that many stuffed animals in that closet oh she has so many stuffed animals. so many stuffed animals um and it was just like uh but it really like set the scene for having like this um and his room is messy like with his He's got toys all the Star Wars guys all Literally, he's got hammerhead. He's got Greedo. He's got Lando like, Calrissian. Who, who gets a Greedo action figure? <laughs> Fucking cool kids too. Yeah, kids but, who know what's up. Here's the thing that the beginning of the movie made me think of: Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things is 100 percent biting the style of yeah. this. Movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely was like, oh yeah, this this feels so much like Stranger Things that like there had to have been. The, the directors, the people involved, had to have loved E.T. as well. Oh, clearly. Like, yeah. Just yeah. the way that they portrayed the kids and a lot of the like interactions between them all. And they're not even like... Yeah, it just... The, the bike gang, like it all... And like I guess that's also kind of reminiscent of the culture of that era. And yeah. So, but it, it just felt so similar to the point of where I almost feel like maybe season one of Stranger Things might hit that realm for the younger generation i think yeah maybe that's part of what's supplanting it to a degree because yeah stranger things is so indebted to this movie and to spielberg in general like the whole vibe of that show is just very much like uh what they used to call the kids in peril genre you know your Mm -hmm. goonies and your whatnot you know well and yeah i think it's interesting that i do wonder whether or not like how many how much kids in peril drama is actually very popular anymore that's the thing like, yeah because like these children are actually in and da- they're literally there are guns being pointed at them yeah um, yeah they're like it, it's just like there's so much peril um i wonder i wouldn't and there's also not just like physical peril there's emotional peril like et dying mm. is emotionally horrifying it's wrenching yeah it's wrenching and it like i don't know I don't want to say movies these days don't have that much teeth, but like because that like that's like oh, crotchety old woman woman these no, days. No, but I mean you're you're um, very right. Yeah, yeah. But I just think crotchetiness and all. Yeah, yeah. crotchetiness <laughs> is, is 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 justified. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why we love Pixar so much. Is Pixar is definitely inspired by a lot of sort of ET in these types of genres of movies where there is definitely an emotional stake. Yeah. Uh, and this emotional stake is st- like, I love ET looks like crap. Okay. <laughs> this is something we need to address because yeah, watching it with my girlfriend recently, I, I think she was, she had a hard time getting over how ugly he is. Like he basically does just look like a big pile of crap with these little wiggly feet and like, you know, she she couldn't really get past that. And I think that was a struggle with the production as well. That's why when they redesigned him, they gave him very large eyes, which is uh, kind of how he can convey gentleness and how we can kind of relate to him, even though he's not, like, particularly conventionally cuddly. 
Uh, but I don't know. It, it was never something that entered my mind when I was watching it as a kid. I never thought, oh, look at that ugly little thing. I was thinking like, oh, look at this this uh, uh, scared, lonely misfit. Yeah. Like that's what yeah. that's what he is. That's uh, at the end of the day, like E. T. is very childlike. People make a big deal about like the the Jesus parables, which Spielberg insists was an accident. Uh, he wasn't really thinking about that act. I mean, he's he's a Jewish man. He's not really going to be too concerned with like <laughs> Christian parables like throughout his movies. But it is something like you see E. T. come out of the ambulance wearing like robes with a big glowing heart underneath it and it's like okay well that's a little on the nose but you know but it, it's it, i i think at the end of the day et is just a very childlike figure and that's why it's so easy to relate to him despite him being kind of slimy and gross yeah i don't know I, I it just never occurred to me that he was ugly uh well i don't think his his ugliness isn't repulsive to me but i just think it's so bold it was such a bold choice at the time like like in the olden days like lots of like things catered towards children were weren't the height of attractiveness but yeah. now like say like most recently with like grogu from the mandalorian yeah um it's objectively adorable yeah like yeah. even though it comes from yoda which was not an adorable creature yoda yoda's was, a weird old man yoda was adorable yoda was a weird old man yeah okay i get original trilogy yoda weird old man for weird sure old man. yeah yeah uh, that's the only trilogy yoda started to i don't know what you're talking about much i don't more adorable i think there's only one trilogy i'm pretty sure oh, yeah i don't know what you're talking oh, about no. yeah yeah i, I refuse I, I will not acknowledge no. Look, I think the I think they had there were good things in the prequel trilogy. Some of the writing, the dialogue for sure, uh, garbage was not great. Uh, garbage, garbage, so, garbage. Some of the dialogue was all right, and the rest of it was just. Let's just say it's a generational. Like you're of a younger generation, so you think that the you were exposed to them without knowing what was right and what was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I knew specifically what was wrong with those movies, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. I saw episode three in theater. So. I did too. No, I saw them all. In I was the. Man, the opening scene of episode three, the opening like whole part there, I loved that the whole space fight and everything. I was like, this is incredible. This is what I'm here for. I was um, on board until they talked. That was always my thing. Like all those movies like, oh, wow, this looks stunning. Oh, they're talking now. Um, yeah. Speaking of Star Wars, um, speaking of spaceships. Yes. The spaceship <laughs> in E.T. <laughs> with the like the mesh metal ramp. Yes, and like the aperture, like door that always and, looks so cool to me. Well, and the the like the the landing pads, which were basically exactly off of like a U.S. rover um, landing pads. Um, but it was just like it, it's such a weird ship. It's, it's great. It's all bulbous, and it looks like a big onion. You know, it's it, like everything about it does look off-putting and alien like yeah. it looks yes. it looks very foreign like we get that one little glimpse inside the ship and there's those glowing stalagmites and like mushrooms growing everywhere and it just it looks all humid and gross and you just really get a sense of otherness from that which i think is excellent and then speaking of otherness like uh, and and going back to d wallace as well i love the way that spielberg shoots grown-ups in this movie yeah. where like you never see their face until he wants to convey that they are trustworthy so the mom is the only adult that we see. You know, we see teach there are teachers talking, but they're always yeah. shot from the waist up. We see like Peter Coyote and the the scientists from the waist down until we realize that they don't have 
malicious intent. You know, they're 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 just curious here and doing science and research. Yeah, in a callous way, but they yeah. they genuinely don't mean harm. You know, I don't think, especially, well, Peter Coyote doesn't it for sure, but. Uh, They're not in the category of like, uh, we're here because we want to dissect this thing and do experiments on it. They're there because they're like, we just want to know what the hell this thing is. Yeah. Speaking of dissecting, the mm. dissection Is it scene. that time? Are we going to dissect me now? The Finally. Oh, no. Um, just, you I... don't have a scalpel, but we both brought scalpels. Well, I'd asked you guys too, and I appreciate that you stuck These to that. people lived in a time where you would have, what? 10 year olds chloroform and kill and vivisect yes frogs okay this is that was what okay i now i don't know about y'all i i have dissected animals Uh in biology class i never had to kill it right yeah no no, neither did i no i I, i'm the way that it's shot in this movie makes it so dispassionate and feel like yeah okay this is obviously something that happened you know somebody's got to gas these frogs but that was never a I, thing for me. I, I was grossed out enough having to dissect like the pig fetus and yes. all that. I but, was kind of amazed. But I didn't have to kill but... the pig. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that Elliot uh, had a drunken rampage and let them all out. Uh, and the like, I don't know. I grew up. My mother's favorite movie is The Quiet Man. Yeah. And which the whole is what kiss they, in The yeah. Quiet Man and Elliot's kiss. Like, and the, he has such a big day. He's like met an alien. He gets his first kiss. He rebels against the fucking man. Gets drunk uh, for the first time. Gets drunk for the first time. <laughs> he saves the lives of frogs and he inspires an insurrection. You know, it's uh, kisses Erica Elaniac yeah. ten years before Baywatch. Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, hey, I mean, go it's for it. It's a big day. Big day for Elliot. Yeah. Um, and it was just so thrilling to see that. Oh, well, and it's just so like it's so interesting the um, Elliot's love for um, for the people around him, even though he's also kind of a jerk. Mm. Like, I, I, there's um, he, he has such affection for uh, like you know he's so little and he's so clearly into this tall, very pretty girl, mm-hmm. um, and like it, it, he's just like dude way to go yeah yeah no i mean he, he went for it you know and and he, uh, we we should bring it back to henry thomas we mentioned briefly that how, how amazing the child performances are but yeah. is henry thomas in this movie the best child performance of all time which like, one was henry thomas he's elliot elliot okay. elliot okay. yeah yeah i mean i i feel like it's hard to make arguments otherwise people will toss I... out Haley joel osmond's sixth sense or you know there, there i are... think drew barrymore's collective works are better than but I, okay. I, I would say her collective works, like in Firestarter. and She is very good in um, yeah. And in this um, and her other children's roles. But I think maybe a standalone, probably the best. It's, it's really a pretty incredible and like emotionally sophisticated performance for a 10-year-old boy. Yeah. Like that... he, he really does need to be the heart of this whole movie and kind of carry the whole thing on his shoulders. And... Like you said, he's a little guy, you know, he's a frustrated middle child and he's he's going through a lot with his parents' divorce. You know, anyone who saw The Fablemans know that Spielberg's parents went through a, a, a divorce that kind of sent him reeling. This is a lot of his way of working through some of those feelings, like through this movie. And uh, I, I think Henry Thomas is just an incredible find. Like he's so emotive and he's so soulful and so likable, even when, like you say, Javen, that he's being a little shit, you know, yeah. like... Yeah, and I I think usually when you get a performance, especially for uh, children in situations like that, you're getting the performance from, like, 
you know, a 16-year-old. Yes. And they're probably a couple years old in the character they're portraying. But, uh, I mean, this wasn't a teenager, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, that was the big thing is to get all of those – to get those vibes and emotions out of – I don't even know how – remember how old Elliot was supposed to be in that, but – Yeah, I think like 11 or 12 maybe, something yeah, like that. Yeah, like – like in that range. Preteen – um, the actor definitely didn't seem to be much older than the character he was portraying. No. Um, and that was the thing is you usually, those are usually the supporting roles, not the primary. Right. And so to see it get carried so well and actually with, without a lot of saying things. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I tap things when I get excited. Hey, I, I, it's but, emphatic, uh, yes. Without a lot of, uh, without a lot of like being direct and saying how he felt, you got to feel a lot of how he felt and just like how he felt in the situation. Yeah. Not just as things progressed through the movie. I mean, I don't know. It, it's just there's something really special about it. And I mean, I love, um, and I'm forgetting the actor's name. I always do this, but the, the older brother, yeah. uh, I think he's fantastic. And like he's a really good older brother he's well, uh skeptical and kind of a dick but he's supportive at the end of the day um well, and the ke- chemistry between the children the chemistry was off like they felt like a family Bar- yeah robert mcnaughton sorry i just had to look it up so i could give him his props robert mcnaughton great uh, I mean, and and I mean, there, there's so much to talk about. Like, there's so much to isolate. Like, John Williams' score. Oh my one yes. of the greatest movie I, scores of all. I time. started watching the movie, and I'm like, I can feel the like Indiana Jones slash Star Wars like soundtrackiness from it. And I was like, oh, but he, he again, he does it in a way where you can tell it's him. Yeah. But you also don't feel like it's the other movies. Yeah. And it, it, it feels like space and it feels like adventure and it feels yes. like yeah. love. Like somehow he's managing to distill all of these concepts and emotions into a musical score. It, it is a top 10 like yeah. film score of all time. Yeah, for me, I, like, I thought about that multiple times throughout the movie of like there were certain situations that were happening where I'm like what's happening on screen is a little on the boring side. But the soundtrack is still great behind it to sure. really help balance out all of the like throughout the film, uh, and, and pretty consistently great. Spielberg as a craftsman is just kind of unparalleled. Like he is so good at finding economical ways to shoot everything, to convey story through staging, to to find all these shortcuts to kind of keep things moving and keep things interesting, even like if nothing is necessarily being said, like. He's really good at just creating worlds and adding all this texture to it. And I think this movie still feels pretty timeless to me. And that's just why it makes me sad that it's not as much of a thing for the younger generation. I hope it kind of finds new legs, you know, like. Well, it's so interesting because, like, I've never seen it, um, like, played at a draft house or, right. like, played there, around There town. was just, like, a 40th anniversary, like, yeah. last year july i think they they had a a one-week screening but i didn't i didn't see it you know i didn't see where it was yeah it it feels like it feels like it has been a little lost or it's being like they're being overly precious with it like obviously i don't want a sequel there was a sequel being planned at one point where they were going to go to et's world which is uh no no Come on, that's completely screwing up the dynamic. That's not what people like about it. Well, it's so funny because E.T. is not a, funct- a functional alien. Let's, no. let's like let's put the fight. like if we really thought hard, if this wasn't a children's movie, like we would be like subject 
E.T. to scrutiny. Like, <laughs> what is he doing? Like, what is he doing? Like, why didn't... He, like, he's such a, like, lays about who, like, gets left behind. Yeah. And with no way to get back home. And, <laughs> like, it, it, he waits for inspiration to remember that phones are a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just loved... When the kids are at school and he's like, no one's home. I'm going to do whatever I want. Kick back, have a beer, watch some TV. Like, it was dismantle almost... Dismantle some if, toys. Yeah, yeah, why not? Dismantle some toys. And then when the mom comes home and the, the younger daughter and they're like... He's just walking around and she's just constantly like looking the wrong direction. Yeah. And you're like, she's just so used to kids being around and right. doing weird stuff that none of this phases her whatsoever. She doesn't even like prefer none of that. She doesn't like turn and look and be like, oh, hey, so and so. No, because this happens every day. So, yeah. Somebody I, does something like this. Yeah. Every day. She's got her own shit going on. Yeah. Forgive me if I, if I get this wrong, but I believe that in Star Trek trek universe there's mm. something called the prime directive yes and you don't interfere with the local people that's right so if et society <laughs> has a prime directive he's just failing at it oh yeah so spectacularly and he's causing the rest of them to fail at the prime directive i'm not saying they have to have one yeah but they're definitely like shh don't well, don't get caught we also like pointedly don't ever really learn what his people are doing here we see them kind of gathering fauna like it seems like they're more interested in plant life it, yeah it seems like a us. research expedition for sure like you get that vibe like these are clearly not like a violent species in when any people way. show up they fucking go they flee yeah, <laughs> they're just yeah, like they, hey get in the car or we're leaving they're, they're shooting rainbows across the sky yeah. they're out of here and then, you know yeah then they leave yeah yeah uh I mean, it, it, there's so much to dig into, and I would just encourage people, if you haven't watched this movie somehow, or if you haven't watched it in a while, do yourself a favor, go back and rewatch it, because this thing was a legitimate phenomenon uh, in, in ways that we don't really have anything quite comparing to it. Like, the Marvel machine that we have going on today is kind of unprecedented, but it's also the result of lots and lots and lots mm -hmm. of marketing and intercoordinated efforts and things like that. E.T. was kind of just a word of mouth sensation. You know, people were just like, you got to go see this thing. And, and like throughout my childhood, people would something would happen and they would jokingly go E.T. phone home. Yes. Like this. There was a lot of people who saw this movie. There was memorable things in the movie. Um, I don't know if there was action figures, but it probably <laughs> there were. Yeah, there were, it we probably, had a stuffed toy when I was a kid. Um, it probably does as much as ET in the game does. Yes. It, it's an everlasting <laughs> advertisement for Reese's Pieces. Yes, that's the one of the the great uh, fun facts about this movie is that they offered this part to M&Ms. They offered it like they, they reached out to M&Ms because it's like, can we use your product in our movie? And they're like, no, come on. This sounds like some bullshit. So they reached out to Reese's Pieces, which were invented the year prior, I think. They were a brand new candy, like still kind of struggling on the market. They used them in this movie. I think they were the number one best-selling candy of the 80s because of this movie. Like it, it was this great synergistic moment. And then M&Ms is just kicking themselves and... Uh, they have to resort to stunts like having sexy, sexy, sexy green uh, M&Ms. Like, just too sexy for Fox can, News. Can I say something that might be controversial? I don't know, depending on your opinions. Okay. Um, That's what we're here. Hot I takes. like a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. I don't really like Reese's Pieces. That is a hot take that I don't think I can support. I love Reese's Pieces Butter Cup, but I don't 
I think Reese's Pieces are overrated. I, but I think my oh, ex, my ex right, loved Reese's Pieces. Yeah. So I feel like maybe my, some of, you know, when you, your ex likes something and you're like, you just, no, yeah. Here, here's my one thing. Like I do like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Here's my one thing with it. It gets kind of like mushy in the middle. Like, so I'll like, I like the mini Reese's peanut butter cups cause they're like tight okay. and crunchy. Uh, the the bigger ones get soft in the middle, which in a way that I, I don't like. I think the softness is I love. I, I like it. The Reese's like the trees and like mm. the Christmas trees and the oh, the yeah, bunny yeah. eggs for Easter, uh, because the soft gooey part is my favorite part. See, it, there's what? something about the texture of it that makes me feel like I need to brush my teeth immediately. Like if I feel gritty, <laughs> I feel gritty. All yeah, of that is true. Uh, I I I think I just meant to like my. I finally processed what my feelings on this is. I think the, like, I love the chocolate to peanut butter ratio of a Reese's peanut butter cup, and you just don't get that with a Reese's piece. Okay. There's less chocolate there. That's fair. And I, it, I, it feels more like I'm eating encapsulated peanut butter, which I mean, I'm not against. I love peanut butter. Maybe that's my thing. But... Maybe I just like ensnaring peanut butter and like, <laughs> uh, uh, eating it in its most concentrated form. But, like, the, the coating is to me just there for texture and you don't get any of like chocolate flavor to it yeah which doesn't matter for m&ms because the thing is full of chocolate what do you think would but... be like the worst candy to use in this movie like what would be the thing that like et would not follow like i feel like if he put some oh. rollos on the ground or something he would rebel because it's just like what He's just like stuck in his mouth the whole time. He's just like oh. he, does he have teeth? He does have teeth. You see him, yeah. He's got yeah. like human-looking teeth. Okay. Yeah, I like Rollos. Yeah, but lot. I mean, you know, it's it's too chewy. Like I feel like he would be working on him the whole movie. Hey, I'm having. You know, <laughs> just give him uh, like some saltwater taffy. Yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> circus peanuts. Yeah, yeah. He's not going near those. Yeah. Circus peanuts are different, and circus peanuts are phenomenal. Oh, I will not let anybody no, hate on no. circus peanuts. I hate oh. circus peanuts. Circus peanuts are great. This no. is good to know that you are a seventy-five-year-old oh. man uh, from <laughs> from Eastern Europe. I so. also love caramel more than anything <laughs> in the world. I, I moved somewhat recently. It was like a year ago at this point, and I didn't want to take much out of my refrigerator because I didn't want to deal with that. It was yeah. a it was like a twenty thirty minute drive between places, so I was like, I don't want to deal with refrigerated stuff. I had a thing of like uh, ice cream caramel, you know, and I was like looking at it. I, I picked it up. I looked at it and I went, opened it up and I just guzzled it. I just squirted it into my mouth like a kid with cheese whiz Dear God. and just chugged caramel. And it was maybe the best moment of my life. I'm just imagining this like hardening in your esophagus and you die. Like that's what you're doing. You're giving your, you're giving your esophagus a candy coating and you, you, you might buy a happy, but you're going to die. I, yeah. You know what? That's fine with me. <laughs> if I go out with caramel, you know I went out doing what I love. Oh, well, absolutely. Uh, I might like caramel more than almost anything else in the world. Even uh, more than uh, E.T., the video game? Oh, how's that for a perfect segue? Uh, look, I think it's time that we talk about I... <laughs> E.T., the video game here for a second. All right. Uh, a lot of people might know a part of the saga of, of E.T., the video game, and I want to kind of take it back to the beginning this is one of the earliest movie or video games based on a specific movie license. Uh, like a lot of things uh, of this era, it was born off of Star Wars. Star Wars was an unbelievable success, and not just as a movie, it was an unbelievable success as a product. So all of a sudden, we have things being marketed. We have action figures, we have uh, lunchboxes, and we have 
video games. Now, video games at this time were very much just considered toys for kids, you know, which uh, you can still debate that. But, you know, I, I, you know, would like to think that they're not. So I don't <laughs> think I've wasted my life. Um, but I, I mean, if they are, then I'm still a kid inside. So it perfect. doesn't matter. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and so, you know, I think the first video game that kind of took advantage of this concept was Superman. Uh, that came out in in conjunction with the movie, but it wasn't specifically tied to the movie. It was a Superman comic book video game for Atari that was just released around the time of the movie. But then I think in 1982, we got three games in a row that were specifically licensed for the movies. We got uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, we got Alien, and we got E.T., so E.T., it came out in uh, July of 1982, and it was just clearly just going to be a runaway success on a scale that nobody had ever really seen before. And Atari saw huge potential in an E.T. game, and so they paid Spielberg a reported $25 million for oh the licensing rights God. to produce this game, which would be about $50, $60 million today. So he made a decent chunk off of this piece of shit. Um, the deal was settled in late July of 1982, and Atari wanted the game on the shelves in time for Christmas that year, which meant the code would need to be wrapped by September 1st. That gave the developer the month of August, basically, to make this entire game. So they reached out to a guy named Howard, Howard Scott Warshaw, who had worked on the Raiders of the Lost Ark game and another game called Yar's Revenge. And uh, he had a little bit more than a month to develop, program, and test the game. And so just to put that in context... Even for the Atari era, this is ridiculously fast. An Atari game around that time would take at least six months to a year. He had one month to make this and, entire and thing. And I think I know where he saved a lot of the time. Yes. It was probably in the <laughs> testing part. Would you believe they didn't test this game? Yes. That's crazy, right? Isn't that insane? I would believe that nobody played this game until the first person bought it off the shelf and took it Absolutely. Home. Yeah, no, I mean, Atari just figured, look, we've got the E.T. license. This is going to be a surefire hit. We're going to save some time by skipping the audience testing phase entirely. After all, they recently had released a home version of Pac-Man, which was critically derided and everybody hated it because it's like a really poor version of Pac-Man, but it was their best-selling game of all time. So it was clear that like what the audience thought didn't matter, they were going to buy it anyway. So when the game finally released in late December of 1982, it was indeed a big hit. It sold more than 1.5 million copies despite being savaged by the few critical outlets at the time. The problem is by January, so just a little bit more than a month later, more than half of the copies that had been purchased had been returned. All right, a lot of this was like grandmas buying gifts for their kid, their grandchildren, and the grandchildren are like, "Grandma, this sucks. I hate you. Get rid of this." It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly family, what I always said to my grandma. Families were destroyed because of this game. Uh, yeah, and uh, this left uh, uh, Atari with a mountain of surplus cartridges that it couldn't move. They took a huge loss on the game. Their stock lost $1.3 billion in their year yearly valuation. They would file for bankruptcy in 1983, which meant the video game industry in America, which was pretty much just Atari at this point, was functionally dead. It was so dead, in fact, that the NES, uh, which came out in America in 1986, it was only able to find success by packaging it with a toy and selling it in the toy aisle. They had to keep the words video game off of it entirely or else people wouldn't touch it. So they sold it with Rob the Robot, who was a little uh, guy who would interact with your game, and they just had to ignore that it was a video game entirely. Uh, so as for all the extra copies of the E.T. cartridge, Atari was forced to dispose of them 
in a landfill in Almogordo, New Mexico. You might know Almogordo as the site of the nuclear te- uh, bomb <laughs> testing uh, back in the day. Uh, a, they, they actually dropped the bombs on the ET cartridges <laughs> later on. Like, can we do one more test? Yeah, yeah we got like, some stuff to get rid of. Hey, are you guys sure you want to not do this for a little while? Because we have some things to blow up, right? <laughs> they we can test it. radiation on plastic. And then they realized it was going to be pretty easy to keep these things in a hole because every time they tried to get up, they would just immediately fall back down. <laughs> so it was fine. But this was dismissed as like an urban legend for a long time. People were like, no, no way, this didn't actually true. happen. And then there was a documentary film called Atari Game Over a couple of years ago where uh, somebody was actually going out and trying to find copies of this game, and they found it. They found the landfill with uh, something like 1,400 copies of E.T., and a bunch of other games were in there as well. But there was a landfill in New Mexico full of E.T. cartridges. They probably still play about as well as it ever did. So if you want one, you know where to go. You don't go, no eBay, none of no, that. No, Just go straight to the source. Head out to so the Get desert. a shovel yeah. and go to town. It's one thing to understand that a game is horrible. Yes. And then it's another thing to actually play that game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. I want, I, I, I want to start with J-Ban here because this was your first experience and ex- first exposure to this game entirely. You knew that this was existed and it was bad. I knew I, it existed. I knew it was bad. I, I knew the legend behind the horribleness of the E.T. video game uh, in the gaming industry that it was like, you know, the dar- darkest day. It was worse than The Room for <laughs> movie equivalent. Well, At least The Room eventually made its money back. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, but the maybe room, it was laundering like, money. Who knows? There's also things that are so bad that you can enjoy them. And then there are things that are so bad they have no enjoyment. It's a hard um, line to walk with video games in particular since that's that's not a passive experience. Like you're going to be uh, enwrapping in, in yourself in this very frustrating experience. Well, but that's... Yeah. So, yeah, so for those of you who haven't played it, one, don't. Um, you... Counterpoint, do, and get back to us. Um, and you just wiggle around a horribly designed green-on-green green situation, um, <laughs> and you fall into holes, which, as, a, as, as anybody who's played any video games ever... Falling to holes is like an instant, you, you feel horrible because you, you think you've just died. Yeah. You know, it's it creates this user experience where you're like, I'm dead. Oh, no. Now I have to get out of this hole. Oh, I fell back in the hole. Oh, no. Now I have to get back in. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And it's so pointless. And it keeps gives you this feeling of dread every time that you fall into this stupid hole. And sometimes the hole is empty. And sometimes the hole is not. And then it's so stupid. And as far as I can tell, the whole point of the game is to just fall in holes and find things. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, we'll, we'll break down what the intention of this game was. You play as E.T., you start with, like, you, you landing in your little ship, uh, and first of all, the concept is already flawed because E.T. is supposed to be looking for the three pieces of his phone so he can call home, but his ship dropped him off here, so it's like, what are they doing? Whatever. Um, but it drops you off in the woods, and you need to just walk around. I think there's, like, four or five different screens that you can walk on, and you need to exactly that. You need to look for the three pieces of your phone, which is accomplished by falling into random holes, all right, you can't quite make out where the holes start or end. And it, once you're in the bottom of the hole, the only way to get out 
is to press the one button on the Atari controller, extend your neck all the way up, and then float out of the hole. Only, Sounds fun, right? Only directly up. Only directly up. You cannot up. go diagonally. You cannot go to the side. You can only go straight up or down. And what happens when you go straight up from the bottom of a hole without being able to like move in one direction or another? You immediately fall back down into the same goddamn hole. So that's sometimes the, ten times in a row, uh, many, you start many getting times. angry. You know, look there. There's a degree of leeway you can give to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. These were very early, very primitive games. This would be like going to the caves of Lascaux and like criticizing the brushwork. You know, it's like this is a very early example of what we could do. And uh, somehow, the caves of Lascaux still rock. They do. They do, and they're still made of rocks. Like they're both great. <laughs> And like, like, I would rather watch the cave paintings than let's go than do this. But uh, it, it's even by the low standards of the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, this thing is impossible to play. I don't think it looks terrible. Like I think it's the the ET sprite clearly looks like ET, uh, and the, the human sprites like are fairly detailed for Atari. Like they're wearing trench coats and hats, and like they they will chase you down. If they grab you, they'll take you to jail, and you'll lose all the pieces of your phone. Uh, or like one of them, I don't so, know. Yeah, we we only ever had a couple at a time. In the watching of ET, falling down holes, a big part of the movie. No, I mean, if you were to play this game first, can you imagine like what you? Where are all the holes? Like, yes, <laughs> no, this guy in, fell into a hole. He hasn't fallen in one hole. He falls over a lot. He does. He they does. had. He's a little drunk. We didn't even talk about. <laughs> The biking, the awesome biking sequence. Oh, yeah. Of course, the iconic biking sequence. You could it, have made the game that. That's exactly <laughs> what they should have made the game was the biking, the escaping with E.T. The yeah. th most thrilling part of the video of the movie is the escape with E.T. And instead you just have, oh, do, 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 do. I'm going to fall in a hole. I mean, it's the most gamified version of the movie, too. You're evading bad guys. You're finding alternate routes. You could have been super lazy and made a Pac-Man knockoff with this, and it would have made more thematic sense than what they settled on. He's just eating on. Reese's Pieces the whole way. He's just eating He's Reese's Pieces. He's got little oh, power pellets great. ready to go. Like, you could have done something like that. The, the most infuriating thing about the game is that, well, there's two things that are infuriating. One, it tells you nothing. There's no explanation. Yeah. There, you don't even know how many lives you have. There's no... The only thing that you have is a number that counts down whenever you take steps from, like, 9,000 down to zero. And the, the most frustrating part about that is every time you fall into a hole, you lose, like, 250 points. And then you try to leave the hole, and you fall back into it four times before you get out. You've wasted over a thousand of your points just trying to get out of one fucking hole. I mean, I'm already, like, brainstorming a new Black Mirror episode where it's, like, <laughs> death Fitbit. You know, you've got you get your 10,000 steps, but that's all you get, and yeah. it's counting down towards your death. That's basically what this game is. Like, yeah. every step you take uh, is killing you, uh, which is uh, kind of a grim prospect. And it's just... It, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of game to discuss here, but I find it bizarre that I've never 
seen anybody beat this game. I've never, uh, I, I've never gotten all. Th- I mean, you got all. Justin, when you were playing. You got all three pieces of the phone. Is there then, only three? What do I do what, after that? Exactly. I, I don't fell know. back into the hole. You fell back until into the, the scientist came and got me and took my phone away. Exactly. And then I had to go try to do it again. Yeah. That you, time he took the whole phone, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is a lot of work." You kept picking up little pixels, and then you would get like, "Oh, now there's a one next yeah. to your score. Now there's a two. Now you got it up to nine. But it's like, what is this? These Are you, aren't lives." Oh, and we should talk about your life system, okay? Because (laughs) when you run out of your 10,000 steps, when your Fitbit of Doom finally casts you into the the eternal pit, then you turn into little white uh, dog turd E.T. where you're dead, and Elliot comes down into the pit, and you seemingly absorb his essence, and... uh, And then he leaves. He doesn't take you out of the pit! But here's the thing. He gives you... 1500 points okay that's Which, all the extra points that you get to get out of the hole again if you fall in this hole it's 300 gone yeah so and, and it is not unreasonable to think you're gonna fall in this hole five times like just trying to get out of it it is not unreasonable <laughs> yeah. to think For everybody that following all. along following along trying to count this that means that maybe you have six holes to fall into if you don't take any steps yeah but you also have to take steps out so yeah it ends up like you lose an automatic 300 or 250 ish hey but then in order to leave are you, you saying this game is bad? <laughs> I, are, are you I'm, saying it? Are you saying this, this I, is a bad I'm game? I'm starting to wonder. I've I'm starting to think a, it might not be very good. I've played a large quantity of video games. I've mm. played a lot of really shitty video games. I was on the Xbox 360 era achievement grind, trying to get as many points as you can out of achievements. Sure. Finding the games that were so shitty, but the 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 game the time played versus points was worth it because you got so many points or how little time you had to play. Um, I've never played a game this bad, and I'll tell you, I knew that this game was bad going into it. I knew enough to know that there was a lot of them in a pit somewhere. Yeah. But even I had the 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 thought that the three of us are competent enough people that we'll be able to figure this game out. No, not so much. Nope. Not so much. Nope. Uh, all all three minds combined could not Wait, get out of the hole. Maybe this is the best game that's ever existed because no we just one, don't know. No one can beat it. Yeah, but maybe like yeah, you you get to the middle of it. And it's like congratulations. Here's the formula for the cure for cancer. Congrats, <laughs> you got it. Well, I mean, so here's let me let me ask the question. Can he take your cancer? Do we know that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. I mean, he can cure a boo boo on your finger. He can. Yeah. And I mean, I think What's he needs to have the ship nearby, right? Because he can like yeah. It's cured. Maybe that's why they were studying. Oh, they should have dissected him. Now I'm now I'm on the scientist side. They should have no. dropped him. <laughs> they should have dropped a, a little uh, chloroform cotton ball in a jar with him and then waited till he passed out and then dissected him. Uh, that's such an uncomfortable mm. scene when Elliot is like yelling and screaming and they're like Oh, like I feel like that for me, that section of the movie is just so heartrending. It's it like is. I think it's it's worse than when Ellie, like when ET actually dies. Like it's like is the area right before he dies when it's just like like I feel like when we talk about movies um having like coded references for real life experiences going to see a family member in the hospital like that's such a tragic um situation and to see elliot and to see all like the tubes and everything and i feel like that captures that moment of being a bewildered child visiting a relative yeah um and it does so it captures it so beautifully and so accurately yeah like in the and it's it really brings like this humanity to children that um like it's one of the best 
one of the reasons why this movie is one of the, one of the best. Yeah, a hundred percent. My Elliot, I I just there's so many things that I loved about what Elliot does. He he sees an alien in the woods, and he's not necessarily scared of it. He tries to find it. Then when he finally finds it, the first thing he does is try to lure it into his bedroom so he can make friends with it. And show and his Star hang Wars out. toys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, bro, bro, now that you're here, here's Lando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I'm going to explain the whole concept of Lando Calrissian to you. <laughs> and then now. also, look, they can fight each other. Yeah. Do you want to just play action figures with me? <laughs> Yeah, of well, course. Yeah, want to make it? Want to make my little shark eat my fish? Yeah, why not? And Let's then, do like, it. then he, he he genuinely, it's like it's. There's always a lot of things. Uh, Stranger Things kind of does a thing like that too, where they find something in the woods and like I'm gonna make this my pet. Yeah, um, it's clearly not the bad thing that's been trying to kill us all this time. No, definitely not. It's um, cuddly. But then, like, he starts. He, he realizes, like, okay, et is smart but doesn't know anything here yeah so it starts trying to like teach him and talk to him and like through through all of this et learns language yeah and can talk i mean not great uh well enough better than me yeah like (laughs) definitely well enough to communicate things and then like after this bonding of like all of this he then gets to watch watch et kind of die and in a way to like save him, yeah, yeah, which I mean, is absolutely crazy. That uh, like the, the amount of things that roller coaster of this movie takes place over like what three, four days? Yeah, it's pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, a, yeah it's not very that's, long. That that's like the type of thing that most people will experience once over the course of their lifetime. Exactly, and they uh, have this crazy intense bond. And I mean. That's why the, this game and like this concept of uh, video games based on movies is so fascinating to me because I'm curious to see which thematic elements they're going to pull out and try to gamify. And the fact that this one went with finding pieces of a phone and falling in holes when there's so much to dig into. They, there's more action in it. There's more heart in it. There's more thematically that you can do with this. And that they that they leveled that they landed on that even with the quick time turnaround time like even with everything, it just feels like completely distanced from if, what the movie is. If you really think about it, they didn't pull anything from the movie <laughs> Not for much. this game. I it's mean, almost it, like literally it seems as if it was somebody who never saw the movie and just. Like the producer gave him like a four sentence explanation of what happens in the movie, and he yeah. goes, "Dope, I got this. I'm making this game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't need to see the movie. Yeah, I just need to see the art. I yeah, just need show, to, I need show to, me the shape of the monster. Yeah, yeah show me the monster, <laughs> and I know what you know FBI or whatever agent is gonna look like, and what a scientist looks like. Because also, like the scientist in the game." You see him and you go, that's a scientist. But also, that's not what any of the scientists looked like in the movie. Yeah. And there really weren't They're any all... like FBI agents in trench coats in the movie at all. They were all kind of part of the science team, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just this weird thing of like, there were the. <laughs> Like the, the scientists all had like full hazmat and like astronaut helmets on. Yeah. And then it's like the scientist chasing after you is just a dude in a white lab coat. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. (laughs) I mean, there was clearly no like conjunction. And so I'm really interested to see how things evolve because the legacy of E.T. the video game, I think, is a cautionary tale. And it's also interesting that it basically this really thriving sub industry of video games based on popular movies stemmed from this. The success of this game drove that entire concept. And the fact that it was built off the backs of such a monumental failure is so fascinating to me. And I'm excited to see how it evolves and how uh, what lessons they learn and what lessons they don't learn from the mess that is E.T. the video game. Like, it's pretty it's pretty insane. And this, this was also... And again, it's something that especially people my age or younger might find harder to imagine mm-hmm. because Again, nowadays, that is 75 because he likes uh, yes, uh, saltwater yeah. taffy and, and butterscotch. Oh, God, saltwater taffy is so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those, like, caramels that my grandma would give me, I loved those. Um, but... Uh, Nowadays, video games are kind of everywhere. Everybody has accepted that video games are like a part of life and a, a part of art and a part of the world. Yeah. But this was a time period where you these you only had them in arcades. Yeah. This was like the advent of the home entertainment system. Um, and so to have something this large of a failure tied to this large of a property, uh, it's so damning because, again – People were just starting to buy these. Right. It's like if the first computer you ever bought sucked and didn't actually work. And like right. You tried to do anything and literally nothing happened. You would never buy a computer. Well, and I, I think the polar extremes of these two things, the most successful movie of all time, the game so bad it broke an entire industry. Like the two – the polarity of that – set off this whole genre on like a collision course now it's like video games are the death of art you know and it took us a long time for us to get around to the fact that like that's not necessarily the case and it doesn't need to be the case you know like now we have things like i've been so immersed in elden ring for like months and it's just such a singular and beautiful and terrifying experience uh that it's hard to imagine anybody disputing that this is a work of art you know, but it what? it set us so, off on the wrong path. What video game was your first video game that you knew that this is this is art, this is storytelling? Ooh. Very cliched answer, but it's uh, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, Super Mario Brothers. Interesting. It, it just it's still to this day one of the most perfect things ever created. Like the original NES Super Mario Brothers is yeah. flawless, uh, and it is one of those things. It's just kind of loudly like this is not Atari. This is not just like uh, cheap, like interpretive pixels moving around on a screen and you just figure out what it is. This is a character with personality, with physics, with momentum, with a world, with a mythology, like everything worked about it. Uh, It was seamlessly controlled, easy to pick up, difficult to master. And uh, when you fell in holes, it made sense. When you fell in (laughs) holes, you just died. You didn't need to like extend your long Italian neck and try and get out of there. You just started over. It's a me, body horror. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, I I feel like I was spoiled with my introduction to video games. That's probably why I love them so much. Because my my first video game was GoldenEye 64. Hell yeah. Also one of the greats when it comes to video game tie-in. That's going to come up. Um, And then, like, not too long after that, like, I kind of... We didn't really have access to video games super easily. So, like, we had a few games... uh, (laughs) uh, The Lion King game, stuff like that. I still Uh, stand by it. Road Rash. 
fantastic game. Oh yeah. Uh, and then Halo. Mm-hmm. When the first when I played the first Halo for the first time, I was like, oh, this is like an art. There's a kicking soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, it's like very orchestral soundtrack. I was like, this is phenomenal. Yeah. This is for sure. Art. Halo was pretty undeniable. Yeah. What was uh, yours, Jimmy? For me, um, I can't say, like, my first most memorable game was um, Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah. Because I would play with my siblings. But the one that I sort of realized that this was, like, storytelling and art was this little game called Clock Tower Yes, 2. for the PS2, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Clock Tower is uh, incredible. I remember, like, hiding underneath a bed and being stabbed through the bunk bed. Oh, and you had, to, you had to hide on the upper oh, bunk bed. You're being hunted by, like, this giant thing with scissors. Like, these huge <laughs> scissors. It's a survival horror game. Correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have any weapons in that, no, right? No, you it's don't just have all weapons. Evading. It's all evasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. And if you Intense. evade wrong, you get brutally murdered. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what an interesting Production, right? Like yeah, what? What, a, yeah. what man? That's that one crazy. is that one is intense. Like that, that one's scarier than like Resident Evil, which was also like yeah, uh, a game Evil that really was... knocked me out. Um, but I, I okay, I think we've pretty well covered ET. Do we have any final things to say about either the game or the movie before we uh, move on to our rankings? I, I have a good feeling what all of our rankings are going to be <laughs> on this one. Uh, I think that's a no-brainer. Um, yeah. Uh, hot mom, killer soundtrack. It's a good time. <laughs> uh, no, we we asked you to review the movie, not your last dating experience. <laughs> Whoa, hey. Oh, hey, oh, hey. zing zing. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna be presumptuous and say uh, universal good movie, bad game. Yeah, uh, we're all on that page. Great movie. Great movie. Horrible game. Uh, yeah, just I think like we have to invent another level on the like. I I don't see. <laughs> there, there has to be an extreme. There, for this like part. I don't see us playing a worse game. Like if this is a scatter plot, like these are all these are outside of the grid this, lines. Yeah. Like, this these would are both, be like this would be the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah Hall of Fame. Worst ever. It's it's uh, gonna be up there. It's gonna be I like we're gonna be. I'm, I'm gonna be frank with you. We're gonna be playing some pretty bad games. Uh, <laughs> there still are not many that are quite on the caliber of this one. So a game so bad it's historically important. Like that's hard to pull off. That's really hard to pull off. And then just yeah. a movie that is a timeless classic. I think that has lost some of its shine uh, over as as generations kind of pass by, but. I think it's due for a reappraisal, and I hope that more and more people are are making this a part of their kids' childhood. Yeah, it's again, it's especially good as a family movie. Like you can watch it as an adult, and it's still a good movie. But yeah. like, it's there's a lot of good things. It's a fun movie to watch as an adult, but also it's great for kids. Yeah, because there's nothing, you know, notably inappropriate. There's a solid penis penis breath thrown in there I think it's the I worst thing that happened my siblings penis breath all the time because of this movie yes uh, yes gotta but, love penis breath uh otherwise you know it's a it's a fun movie about a kid making a friend and living like learning life experiences and so i think it's it's great for uh i mean maybe don't like show it to a four-year-old because they might not really know what's happening 
but, but like anybody if, if you have me. younger kids now who like love stranger things like yeah. toss us on for them like seriously uh uh you know it, I, it feels weird to be hawking for <laughs> et which is adjusted for inflation the fourth highest grossing movie of all time uh the fourth most popular film ever made uh but i still feel like i need to hawk for it a little bit because it's a magical film yeah, and I, I feel like one of the things that it, again, unlike Stranger Things, which I feel like Stranger Things has some of this, but you, you like, learn things. Like, as a kid, you yeah. can kind of learn, like, you know, oh, you know, emotions are happening, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, 100%. So, great family movie. Well, thank you guys for talking this one out with me. I think the next episode we're going to do is going to illustrate the opposite end of this spectrum uh I, I i specifically curated these first two games the rest are kind of random but I, I curated these two to show the two polar extremes we're going to watch a bad movie that has a surprisingly good game attached to it did so, you just spoil the rating i i'm i might have spoiled it a little bit i'm not going to tell you guys how to vote on i, I feel because, like we i mean it was pretty clear from the beginning of this one how we were going to go it's so. true some of these are going to be foregone conclusions but i'd like all of us to just keep open minds and i'm not going to judge anybody if they somehow like this next movie or dislike this next game because the movie we're going to be covering is The Mummy. And before you get excited, this is the 2017 The Mummy with Tom Cruise. There was a video game made of this. It's called The Mummy Demastered. It's a 2D side-scrolling Metroidvania-style game that is surprisingly solid. At least I thought so. Um, and the, the movie is famously derided. So uh, have either of you seen The Mummy, the, the Tom Cruise Mummy? I love the only mummy in my heart, which is the, the one with Brendan Boris Karloff. Oh, no, no excuse me. Well, the, actually, the one really, with The Rock. I really liked the 1932 it's version. Of, yeah. It's like It's only the funny thing about The Mummy um, and a lot of the early mo monster movies is that they kill everyone by strangu strangulation. It's all strangling. It's yeah. all strangulation. It's, it's all strangling. It's, and it's just, it's, it's such a funny, like, you go back in time, you're like, ooh, I'm going to strangle you. Uh, and you're like, run. Nowadays, uh, I like literally rip your spine out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's what a mummy should do. A mummy yeah. should rip your spine out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I have only seen the first mummy. And again, it was so long ago that I barely remember anything of it. Luckily, so. this one is not this is not part of the Brendan Fraser series. It's not connected at all. So we'll have our own fresh slate to go into it. I should mention too, like we're going to be covering some series on this show as well. Like little mini series, like you mentioned the mummy, there are games based on each of those three mummy movies. When that comes up, I figure we would just do them in a chunk okay. and like, just do like one episode, one episode, one episode. And that way we can kind of stay on theme and not jump around. But this Tom Cruise mummy is standalone because the dark universe did not happen. We'll get into all of that uh, craziness. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to have more information about social media, uh, about uh, you know, everything. This is our very first episode. So uh, I'm going to work on improving the sound quality, too, if that's an issue. It might sound great. Who knows? I'm, re I'm recording it now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I just want to thank my two co-hosts for being here and for uh, going along with this with me and uh, for playing the E.T. game, which uh, was probably hard on both of you. So. <laughs> it, I've... I've never played a game that only gave me 15 seconds of enjoyment before. <laughs> that was new. All right, everyone. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.